just what those shepherds must have been thinking. To have these angelic hosts showing up and the message they were delivering. And to go see this little babe that was lying there in a manger just wrapped in cloths. Who looked like any other baby. It's interesting when you read that story that in that sense Jesus came into the world just like anyone else. He was conceived obviously by the Spirit of God. But he grew inside the womb and developed just like any other baby. He was delivered into this world just like any other baby. But yet, he wasn't just any other baby. He was God in the flesh. And he is why we come here today to worship. We come to worship him. So this morning, we're going to talk about really what it is that Jesus came to do. In the sense that Jesus came to give us the gift of life. The gift of eternal life. The gift of the the new life. Of being born again. So that we could spend eternity with God. As you have your Bible this morning, we're going to be looking at different passages. But we're going to begin our time in Philippians chapter 2. And as we know, today is Christmas Eve. And whether it's going to be today or tomorrow, gifts will be given, gifts will be received. And I'm sure that each of you have fond memories of particular Christmases, particular gifts that you have received or you have given to someone. I can tell you, as I've grown older and the loss of my grandparents, I think Back to the the best gift my Nana, we called her, my Nana McGee, that she gave us every year was her cooking. And to walk in her house knowing that there was going to be plenty of chocolate fudge, peanut butter fudge, salted pecans, and my favorite, cheese cookies. I think back to when I had my Papa Bill here, my mom's dad. I looked at that and I remember as a child growing up that every year he gave us the same thing. He gave us all, the grandkids, $20. And he really thought that $20 was going to last us for quite a while. I think back to the excitement as a small child of waking up early. I was the youngest of my siblings and so I was the one who woke up first and I would go into the living room to see the presents that were there and just be excited as could be and sadly I must confess that one Christmas morning I got up and went in, went in there and I saw that my sister had in her pile a gift that I wanted and so I switched them but I was caught but I think back to those things and those gifts, and they, they are fond memories for me, for my family, and, and I just think back to what the things that I received, and just the joy in each of those things, and I'm sure you could all stand and tell of different things in your life as well. But, as I think about each of those gifts, 
They were all, in and of themselves, temporary. I mean, the cheese cookies didn't make it through the day. The $20 didn't make it through the weekend. The gifts that I received that were under the tree no longer are with me. But yet this morning, I want to talk to you about a gift that God gives that is eternal. That lasts forever. The gift of salvation. The gift of eternal life. The gift of a new life. The gift of being born again. And I I want us to talk about this this morning. Because it does tie into the birth of Jesus. The reason why God can give us this gift is because he gave us his son who came into this world, who lived a life without sin, so that he could go to a cross where he could give his life, where he had no sin, where he could take our sins upon himself. So that we could be forgiven and have life eternal with him. And I want us to think about that this morning, this precious gift, because for us as believers, I I want it to be an encouragement and a reminder to us of what really Christmas is about. That it is about worshiping our Savior, the one who came. But also, maybe for some of you today, my hope and prayer would be that God may give you this gift. Or you'll be awakened to the reality of your need of the gift of salvation. So as we think about the gift of salvation, the gift of life eternal, in some sense the gift of being born again, I want us to first for a moment think about the price of this gift. The price of the gift of salvation. I'm sure that Some of you can recall maybe some of the most expensive gifts that you've ever received or that you ever even have given. Maybe it's been a gun, an engagement ring. Maybe it was a car, a trip. And it was an expensive gift. But beloved, when we think about the price of this gift of salvation, the cost of this gift... It is the most expensive gift anyone will ever and could ever give to you. It cost the life of the Son of God who willingly left heaven as the second person of the Godhead, as the second person of the Trinity to come whereby He would permanently become a part of mankind. And I stress that idea of Him being permanently a part of mankind because... As when we go back and read in the Old Testament, we see there were some times when Christ appeared here on the earth. But those were only temporary. But this time when he was coming and he was going to take on the flesh and he was going to be conceived and born into this world as we read a moment ago there in the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 2, that is the way he would remain forever. That is, he lived that way. He died that way. He ascended to heaven that way. And he will come back that way. He will live now eternally as the God-man. And the reason why I want to bring that to your attention, to think about the price of this gift, the cost of this gift, is because as we look in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul is speaking about having an attitude of humility, he points to the Lord Jesus Christ himself who he says in verse 6, 
who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the incarnation being spoken about here. This is Paul speaking about Jesus becoming a babe, becoming a part of mankind. He's God. He's always been God. He is God. He will forever be God. He wasn't always man, but he was willing, as he says here, though he was God... And he has equality with God. He was willing to come and empty himself in becoming a part of us, a part of man, to become a bond servant. But it wasn't just that he became a part of us. He was also willing to humble himself to the point of obedience, to the point of death on a cross. This was the price. This was the cost of the gift of salvation. That he who never sinned, who never experienced sin, goes to a cross where he experiences the effects of sin, whereby he becomes sin for us. That is, he took our sins upon himself. He took the wrath of God upon himself. God's righteous anger, God's righteous judgment for our sins so that God, a holy God, could accept us, give us life eternal where we could live with Him forever and yet still be just, not turn away His justice. This is what God has done. And this is the cause. And God paid for this gift and He paid for this gift in full. And that He sent His only begotten Son into this world. Be well for a moment. Look over in 1 John. Go to 1 John chapter 4 towards the back of your Bible. Because I want you to see we're thinking about the birth of Christ. That His birth was just the the first step, the first stage in a mission that God had given him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, where it says, By this the love of God was manifested. It was made known in us. It was revealed to us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That idea there of God sending His only begotten Son is saying God the Father had a mission for His Son and the mission for His Son included Him coming and being born into this world. 
and born to this world as a babe so that he could live a full and complete life because, beloved, we need to have the righteousness of Christ, the, the life of Christ given to us. God only accepts people and gives people life eternal where they can live with him forever who have the righteous life. And the only way you're going to ever have a righteous life in standing before God is through Jesus Christ because he came and he lived without sin as an infant. He lived without sin as a little baby boy. He lived without sin as a toddler. He lived without sin as a little boy. He lived without sin as a teenager. He lived without sin as an adult. He lived perfectly. He lived without sin so that now when, when someone puts their faith in him, his life is now credited to them. It's imputed to them. It's given to them. So that now when God looks at us, he can see us through the life of his son. Jesus, he said, he sent his only begotten son on this mission so that we might live through him. He sent him on this mission, as he says there, so that he could be the propitiation that is the sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God for our sins. Because there's nothing that you can do, there's nothing that I can do that can somehow settle or satisfy or push away God's wrath that he has towards me for my sins. There's nothing I can do about it. But Jesus did everything about it. And it started with him coming as a babe so that he would go to that cross where he would give his life as the Son of God, as the Son of Man, where he would die. Jesus was born to die. That's what that verse teaches there. When he says there that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, he's saying, I sent my son to be born into this world so that he could die. He could die for our sins. Well, beloved, the gift of salvation is a gift that comes with a cost. It comes with a, a heavy price. It came with the price of the Son of God who shed his blood on Calvary's cross so that we could have the forgiveness of our sins. So this is the price of this gift. And I, I want you to truly understand the price of this gift because if you truly understand the significance of the cost of the gift of salvation, it should make us hate our sin and love Christ. Love God. Come running to God for the forgiveness of our sins. Well, let me share one other thing about the gift of salvation. I call this the proof. The proof of possessing this gift. The proof of possessing the gift of eternal life. The gift of salvation. The gift of the, of the new life. Now before looking at that, let me again just remind you that again, salvation is a gift from God. As we're told in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
It is a gift. We don't, we don't deserve it. You don't do something for it to earn your salvation. You don't do anything to earn life eternal with God. But you can't change yourself. You can't change your heart. You can't change your ways. You can't change your status and your standing before God. This is only something God can do. But if or when God does it, and in that He gives you the gift of life, He gives you the gift of eternal life, He gives you the gift of salvation, there are things that happen in your life that begin to show that you possess the gift of salvation. And it's important to remember that because... Go over with me for a moment to the Gospel of John. Go to John chapter 3. Go to John chapter 3. Here Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus. And he's having a conversation with him about salvation. About being born again. And Jesus makes a statement to him in verse 3 where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. He's talking here about people who have been born again, those who've been given the gift of life, the gift of salvation, of a new life in Christ. And notice what Jesus is saying. That the Spirit of God, when He brings that life to someone, it's, it's like the wind that blows. You've never seen the wind itself, but you see the effects of the wind. You can hear the wind, and you can see the damage and the things that it does, but you don't know where it's going or where it's coming from. You can't see that. And He's comparing that to salvation. When someone is being given the gift of salvation, the gift of new life in Christ, that that is something internal, that is something even invisible when it happens. But yet, when it does happen, it will begin to show the effects. You will see when someone has been born of the Spirit of God and they have been granted and given this life, this gift of life, this gift of salvation, it will begin to show itself in that person's life. So let's look and think about that. And as we do, ask yourself this morning, have I been given this gift? Do I have the gift of eternal life? Do I have the gift of new life in Christ? Well, the good news for us is there was an entire book of the Bible that was written for this very purpose. 
Turn over with me to just a moment to 1 John. Go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, verse 13. John is wrapping up this epistle. And he's giving a purpose statement really to the entire letter. Of everything that he's written. And notice what he says, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That you can have the, you can walk in assurance, you can walk in encouragement that you have eternal life. So here is a letter that was written specifically to believers, to Christians, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to help them to remember that they do genuinely possess the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. So this is what he wrote this for. And when you go back through it, what you see here is that John reveals, he says, these things I have written to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. How was it they were going to know that they had eternal life? How were they going to know they had the gift of salvation? Well, by the things he was pointing out to them, some changes that occurs in a person's life. And it's still occurring. That is, when we get born again and we receive the gift of salvation from the Spirit of God, when that happens in our life, there are some instant changes that take place, but those changes continue to develop over time as well. So you're not going to ever arrive in regards to these changes whereby you're never going to struggle with them. But you will see these things being manifested in a person's life who genuinely have the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. So let's just think about it. There's four changes I want us to think about this morning. Just four, real quickly. The first one is, the person who has received the gift of eternal life will have the change, a change in the way they live. A change in the way they live. Look over in 1 John Chapter 3 for a moment. And notice what it says. Verse 4. Just pick it up in verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he, that's talking about Jesus, appeared. And that goes back to his birth. He, he, his birth, his life, and his death here on the cross. He appeared in order to take away sins. And in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him, that is, no one who has a relationship in Him, sins. No one who sins has seen Him or knows Him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who has been born of God practices sin. 
because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, let's keep in context what John is saying here. Go back to 1 John chapter 1 for a moment. And here he he speaks about, if we say that we, in verse 6, we have fellowship with him, if we have fellowship with Christ, if we have fellowship with God, and yet we live our life in the darkness, we're lying about having fellowship with him. And we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. And if we say say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. What is John saying here when we read in chapter 1, in chapter 2, and over there in in chapter 3 when we're looking at these different passages And we're talking about, he's saying that a person who has been born again, a person who has received this gift of salvation and eternal life, will have a change in their life and a change in the way they live. They won't be without sin, but they won't just live a life of sin. You see, there's two extremes that are out there. There's one extreme that says, look, I can just have Jesus and I can have salvation and I can go live my life the way I want to live it and do whatever I want to do. The Bible doesn't say that. But there's also another extreme out there that says that you can reach a point in this life as a believer whereby you will never sin. And John is addressing both of those extremes and trying to help them to see, yes, you do have life eternal because you have seen changes in the way that you're living. You're no longer living a life of sin that is living a life without Christ, a life without thought about Jesus and about the salvation that he has provided you in Christ. Your life is now governed by that. Do you still sin? Absolutely. Do you still fall on your face sometimes? Absolutely. We all still do. That's why John even says, if we anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. We believers have an attorney with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's always pleading our case. And His blood, His sacrifice on the cross is cleansing us every day. Because we sin every day, but it's not a lifestyle, it's not a disposition, a direction where my life is just moving in the direction of this world or of sin. Think about why he came. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to take away sin. Why did you come to Christ? Did you not come to Christ so that he would take away your sins? So that he would forgive you of your sins? You, you wanted, because you, you may think, well, no, I came to Christ 
because I just wanted to have the penalty of my sins taken away. But I didn't, the, the presence and the power of sin in my life, I'm not really that interested in that. It, that doesn't matter to me. I just want to make sure I have a ticket, that I get my ticket that has Jesus' name on it, and so that when I die, I can go to heaven to the gate and say, here's my ticket. Well, that's not the way it works. The one who has received the gift of salvation sees a change in the way they live. And look, that doesn't mean it's always going to be these radical differences. If I look at the life of the Apostle Paul, I think in a lot of ways, his life didn't change. Now, it changed from the sense of he was no longer trying to persecute and kill Christians. Now, that's a radical change. But in his daily life, remember, this was a very moral man. This was a man who was, because he was trying as hard as he could to establish his own righteousness before God. And he was zealous about that. What changed more for Paul, I believe, was on the inside, where now he was doing those things that he was doing all out of a love for Christ, knowing that he had been forgiven of his sins solely on the basis of Jesus Christ and Christ alone and his work, his life and his death and his resurrection. But there will be changes because, as we read a moment ago, go back to chapter 3 for a moment. Notice what it says there in verse 9. No one, now don't skip over that, no one, means there's, there, there aren't exceptions to the rule. No one who's been born of God practices sin. He's not saying no one who's been born of God never sins. He's already addressed that earlier in the book. They do still sin. But notice he says, why, how is it that John can say, no one who's been born of God practices sin? He says, because his seed abides in him. That is because there has been a radical event that has happened in that person's life. It's called the, the, the new birth. It's called the new creation. It's called getting a new heart. Or as Peter says, we've become... Uh, Partakers of the divine nature and we have the spirit of God who comes to live inside of us. There are some amazing supernatural things that happen for us as Christians when a person receives the gift of salvation, when a person is born into the family of God. That's why he says it will begin to change the way they live. Now, this will begin to manifest itself progressively in our life. But there will be changes but secondly, let me hurry through these. You'll see changes in what you love. Changes in what you love. Look over in chapter 4 of 1 John. Verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who's been born of God, everyone who has received this gift of life, this gift of eternal life, they love and they love the brethren. They love the, the people of God. And look, we know, we understand, this is following in the footsteps of God himself. Because we were not lovable, yet God loves us. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't as though he looked down and said, they seem to be getting better. They seem to be getting better, so I think I'm going to send my son down there to, to go die for them. No. Mankind wasn't getting better. Mankind's getting worse in that sense. 
But God in His love demonstrated that love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when someone has been born again, it begins to change because love is poured into their heart. And one of the ways that manifests itself is a love for the people of God. That's why He can say, how can you say you love me who you've never seen and you don't love your brother who you do see, who you can love Physically and right there in the flesh. It will show itself in the things that we love. We'll have a love for God's people and we'll have less of a love for the things of the world. Go over to chapter 2 for a moment. Go to chapter 2. He says, Do not love the world. Verse 15. Nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, that's not from the Father, that's from the world. And the world is passing away. Its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Look over. Look over in chapter 5 for a moment. Verse 5. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with water only, but with water and with the blood. It's the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Look down for a moment. At verse 19 of chapter 5, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Verse 18, we know. Notice now, remember why he wrote these things? He wrote these things so that they may know that they have eternal life. And he says in verse 18, this is what we know. We know for certain. We know for sure. We know based on the truth of God's word that no one who has been born of God sins because he who has been born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What I'm saying here is, when you put all this together, that he's saying the person who's received the gift of salvation will see a change in what they love, who they love. Their love of the world will begin to diminish more and more and more in their life. Because they know this world and its wisdom and its systems and its lusts and its pleasures and its temptations that are out there. They know that all those things are passing away and also they're under the leadership of Satan himself. That's why we have to be careful at times for folks to think they can just pray a prayer and say this settles things with God so... I can go live as I did before. That's not what God's word is saying here. It's saying that if we've been born again, I have the gift of salvation that God has given me. It will begin to show itself by the changes in the way and who I love. I will love God's people, the truth, and I will have less of a love for the things of the world. But let me show you one other thing. It will also have an effect of changing who you listen to. 
Go back to chapter 4. Have you noticed in the verse we read a moment ago in verse 7, it says that everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay, they have an intimate relationship with God. So a person who has been born again, a person who's received the gift of salvation, the gift of life, is someone who knows God. Well, keep that in mind, that idea of knowing God, and just go one verse up to verse 6, where it says, we are from God. And he who knows God, thus he who has been born of God, the one who's received the gift of eternal life, listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of, the, of error. That, that's an amazing statement to think about. The person who knows God and has a living relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ who's been born again, the apostle Paul says that person listens to us. That is, he's listening to the truth of Scripture. He's listening at that time to the truth of the apostles. Remember, it is God working through the apostles that's laying the foundation of the New Testament at that time. And he's saying that but those who are not from God, that is, those who have not been born again, those who don't know God, they don't listen to us. And by listening, it's not just that they're saying they're willing to sit there and listen to what it has to say, but that idea of listening is listening with an ear to believe it and to live it. This is what he's saying. We are from God, and those who know God listen to us and apply what we're saying. This is... The mark of, of one who has been born again and has a change in their life. They know God and if they know God, then they listen to God. They follow the teachings of Scripture. Their heart is just longing for the Word of God to know it, to learn it, to live it. Now, do any of us do that perfectly? No. No one does these things perfectly. But there is a change that happens. A change in who and what we listen to. But finally, let me say this. It also is a change in who you are looking to or leaning to for your salvation. Go to chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Whoever is believing that he's the Christ, that is, he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, he's my only hope of salvation. Whoever believes that Jesus is God and Jesus is man, whoever believes in the deity of Christ, and even in the deity of Christ, he's the second person of the Godhead, Whoever is believing that and whoever is believing also in the, the provision of Christ and Christ alone. This is the one, he says here, who has been born of God. He even makes it more clear down verse 11. The testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So it comes down to this. Do you possess the Son of God or do you not? And to possess the Son of God is to 
have a faith, a trust in Him, whereby you are leaning solely on Him for the salvation of your soul. You're believing in Him. You're trusting Him. You've turned to Him. Your life is committed to Him. You're following Him. Beloved, this morning, I pray your heart is being encouraged because as we go through these marks of a believer, that is that basically if you see the signs, the proofs that you do have the gift of life, the gift of eternal life, that your heart has been encouraged by this and you can say, oh Lord, I I can rejoice as I walk out of here because I was reminded once again that I have received the greatest gift of all. I have received the most costly gift of all. I have received the most precious gift of all. I have received the gift that grants me life eternal with you that doesn't just last in this life, but it lasts in the life to come. It lasts forever. And I can now go and just thank you and praise you and worship you. And as I think about Christmas and I think about your coming, Lord Jesus, that you came on a mission. And you fulfilled your mission. And I thank you that I have this gift. But beloved, let me ask you this morning. For any of you here today. Has your heart been stirred? Has God awakened you maybe to a reality that. You don't have this gift. You you really, you know that. You know that deep down in your soul. You really don't have it. You really don't see these things in your life. Beloved, may I just plead with you this morning. You, You can have it in the sense that you will repent of your sins. If you will come to Christ on Christ's terms, if you will come to Jesus for the reason why Jesus came, Jesus came to take away sin. And you see that and you know that and you recognize your sinfulness, you recognize your rebellion, and you're willing to humble yourself and turn from all of that and just put your faith in Christ alone and say, Oh God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of the direction I have gone. Forgive me for going astray. Oh God, please change me. Change my heart. Change my life. I want to turn to you and trust in you and you alone as my Savior. Seek the Lord. Seek Him with all your heart. And I will pray. I will pray that if that is you this morning, that your soul will not be quiet. I will pray that your conscience will not stop ringing. And I pray your heart will not stop grieving until you have resolved this in the affirmation of Christ and putting your faith in Christ. This is the greatest gift of all. Don't turn it down. Don't walk away from it. There's there's nothing this world offers. There's no gifts. There's no pleasures this world offers that's worth your soul. As Jesus said, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and you lose your soul? And the losing of your soul, beloved, is dying without Christ and spending an eternity separated from the love of God 
and spending an eternity in and under the just wrath and judgment of God. But no one here has to do that if you will come to Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.